the core issues is a $1 trillion shortfall in emerging markets funding. And they often have legacy ways of approaching the issue. So when we do discuss with them, they'd like to bring us onto their way of doing things. But the whole thing is we have to transition over to a more transparent means of funding the transition using blockchain in the back end. And that's been the core issue. And we knew that when we were going into this, that we're solving, we're not solving for the solar companies. We knew that they would want to have more projects. We knew that entities want to have cheaper, secure energy, but the financiers, that's the core thing. We've gained traction, but now we really want to accelerate that as fast as possible because that's what we need to. It's all a problem is money. It's always money. We need to accelerate the funding of clean energy projects globally and no country can be left behind. If Europe and the US and China, Japan are, have got a, a far better energy mix, but the likes of South America, Africa, India are still predominantly on coal, then that's one atmosphere. So we have to accelerate that transition globally. You're here for another dose of climate positivity on the Green Business Impact Podcast. Here we highlight the amazing work of green businesses from around the world that are fighting against climate change. If you are ready to be inspired to take action, ready to hear some amazing examples of how we are working to fight the climate crisis, then stay tuned because this week's episode will be the perfect hit of climate positivity. Marco, thank you for coming on to Green Business Impact Podcast. Super excited to have you here. I would love for you to just go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us about what you do at Decarb Earth. Thank you very much for having me on the show. What we do at Decarb.Earth, I'm the founder, Marco Funk, is in a nutshell, optimize the funding of clean energy projects in emerging markets by using blockchain in the back end to track the whole funding flow as well as uh, the carbon offsets that are being generated. Awesome. That's great. And how do you go about providing that marketplace for those projects being funded? Our platform, we really looked at the core issues that were apparent in the clean energy funding space and the processes that are involved from start to finish and thought, okay, for every single aspect, how can this how could we use blockchain to optimize that process? So blockchain is being used in the back end, but the front end is all very much web two. And then in so doing by onboarding projects, by onboarding enterprises, by providing them with some free marketing value by showcasing them, we then initiate projects, we optimize the funding and we track the carbon offsets. So it's those three components that we always look at project initiation, because we need more projects. Those projects need more funding. And then those projects should be getting carbon offsets generated as well, because that, of course, then accelerates the amount that can be funded because of the additional revenue that's being generated. So that's in a little bit of a holistic sense. I'm happy to share more. Yeah, definitely. So you have blockchain running in the background to really validify those carbon credits that are being created through these energy projects, correct? Yes, indeed. That's one aspect of what the platform does. Our initial focus was on the optimization of the funding, like a bit of a background about me, I did my econ thesis on how to optimize the collection and distribution of funds focused on Africa. So really it was the funding component, but then if you want to have optimized funding, you want to be generating as much value for a project as well. And then we were using blockchain already. We were already measuring the energy data. So we're like, well, we might as well also look at how we could create carbon offsets and had very much a partnership mindset with what we did and partnered up with different stakeholders related to that realm of product on our also generating carbon offsets. 
fully verifiable on chain and then selling them on. Definitely. And what was that big problem that you were trying to solve through having this blockchain by providing the funding for these projects? What was that big problem that you were looking to solve? The, probably the biggest problem, we definitely know that the solar companies, they'll want to sell more solar businesses and generally towns, villages, they want to have secure supply of energy. They want to have cheaper energy. So that fits the bill as well, because they'd rather, instead of relying on the grid, they'd rather have their own energy source. And the core issue, and that's the core thing that we're still on the process of solving, and we're getting not the same level of traction as we are with the other components, is persuading these financiers to get involved. Because that's the core. The core issue is there's a $1 trillion shortfall in emerging markets funding. And they often have legacy ways of approaching the issue. So when we do discuss with them, they'd like to bring us onto their way of doing things. But the whole thing is we have to transition over to a more transparent means of funding the transition using blockchain in the back end. And that's been the core issue. And we knew that when we were going into this, that we're solving, we're not solving for the solar companies. We knew that they would want to have more projects. We knew entities want to have cheaper, secure energy, but the financiers, that's the core thing. We've gained traction, but now we really want to accelerate that as fast as possible because that's what we need to. It's all a problem is money. It's always money. We need to accelerate the funding of clean energy projects globally, and no country can be left behind. If Europe and the US and China, Japan are have got a, a far better energy mix, but the likes of South America, Africa, India are still predominantly on coal, then that's one atmosphere. So we have to accelerate that transition globally. Definitely. And the great thing, though, about this time is that these emerging markets, they don't have to go through the coal stage and using all these carbon intensive resources. They can skip ahead of that. If, they're, if they don't already have the infrastructure there, they mm -hmm. can really say, okay, we're now going to build out our grid to be set up for renewables, to be set up for yeah. what the cheapest source of energy is today, which is renewable energy. They don't have to rehaul their entire system and all sorts of other things. Many of yeah. the United States or Europe does based on before we were very centralized systems with coal power plants and things like that. Now you have more of a decentralized look at things with solar across the grid, whereas emerging markets can really jump step that. There's a podcaster that I listen to is really a thought leader in kind of the space of emerging technologies and things like that about how a lot of emerging and developing countries don't have to go through the like telephone wires and all these other things. They're going straight from nothing to having 4G and cell phones and everybody has a cell phone. They really have this opportunity to jump step and don't have to go through all middle stages of tripping over ourselves and not really making the best decisions and things that are not efficient and poisoning the earth and things like that. They can really jump step. It's a really kind of an exciting time too, as long as we can get the funding there with you know what you guys are looking for. So yeah. no, but exactly a very good point. You often have that, and you mentioned the cell phone example. Africa, the the, the speed of taking on cell phones was exponential because of the fact that many people didn't have a normal landline. So similar, it's a bit of a mix. Obviously, you can't bucket together all emerging markets together, but some are going to have to develop in general the infrastructure, and then you can really start a far more sensical approach, which is using energy that creates itself, then continuing to put coal 
into a furnace and burning it into the atmosphere, which is about as nonsensical as it gets. <laughs> yeah, we're in 2023. We need to change with the times because we have a lot better technology nowadays. And going to step back a second. We've kind of danced around the point like you guys are starting in South Africa. Are you hoping to move to other markets or what is your outlook for that? South Africa, we chose, I happen to come from South Africa, but living in Switzerland. So the company is based in Switzerland, but we had to pick our first market and we really wanted to pick a market where one also for product market fit, that it's a little bit at the ends of the earth in a way, like where you always want to be able to test things, make sure that you get that ideal market fit before you then enter like a market such as the USA or other markets, even though, of course, I know that USA is not an emerging market, but we have built a product that's completely agnostic and that can work in any market. The reason I actually mentioned the USA is because I had a very interesting call today who were super excited of what we built and like, we have to take this change to the whole energy system of the US. Okay, well, so we have built it with an agnostic mindset, but we did look at markets where you have the highest amount of sun, so you can get the highest solar radiation, which means you can generate the highest return, also with the highest carbon footprint of the on-grid alternative. So that was where South Africa was a clear winner on those two fronts. And then also, as I mentioned, at the end of the earth product market fit front, and it's a bonus that I happen to come from there. But uh, yeah, you really want to, with every dollar that you're spending, you want to be getting the highest benefit from that dollar expenditure. And that's where the whole market is a little messed up, skewed towards nonsensical in the sense that the market often the dollar goes towards places where the on-grid energy mix isn't that bad. It should be going towards those places where you are avoiding the most amount of carbon entering the atmosphere. You're getting the best dollar, the best bank per buck on the carbon offset front. And then also that's an additional bonus if you can get higher returns. So that's where, again, the emerging markets, that's the core thing that we want to do is generate as high returns as possible for our financiers and generate as much carbon offset that we then showcase how they are saving the planet in real time. Definitely. And so you mentioned before your website is on the Web2 front. What do you display on your website and how you show off your product and market out there? What's your message that you're trying to show to these financiers? So we're called decarb.earth for a reason. We decarbonize the Earth's atmosphere. And that was also a decision. What is our branding going to be? And we are looking at the fact that financiers can showcase, this is the amount of carbon that I've avoided. This is the decarbonization that we've done in real time with immutable data tracked on chain. And so our website is all about showcasing what enterprises are running on clean energy, how much carbon has avoided entering the atmosphere. It's all about that transparency, which the blockchain offers in the back end, but then really easy for people to understand. And then they're just dealing with fiat money to get a loan. So they're paying fiat, they're getting fiat, but in the back and everything is created through that transparency with the blockchain that we can then actually have that data. So you, on the front end, you're seeing how much carbon is being offset, but then in the back end, you can actually see, okay, this is the history of that, of how we can claim that's the amount. Definitely. And it can really go into like the ESG compliance records and all that kind of stuff too, right? Yeah, exactly. Nice. No greenwashing, real data of real energy, carbon that's been avoided. And there's nothing we dislike more than greenwashing because that basically makes it even worse. You're saying you're doing good, but actually you're not. And then the, the real, the guys that are doing good, they are in a sea of non stuff that isn't doing good. Yeah. Yeah. That's the whole transparency, accountability, everyone being able to see who's actually saving the planet in real time. And as a bonus, they're making money because we do have to accept that we live in an economic system. 
So let's grow trees, but let's also switch the, the energy source. Energy is 72% of carbon emissions directly and indirectly. It's the core issue that we're facing. Yeah, it makes sense to help transition those places like the emerging markets where there's a lot of carbon being generated from the current energy supply. And there's a strong need from the enterprises, from the individuals to have a secure energy supply that's clean and that's cheaper. Definitely. And you're starting out with energy projects, solar energy projects, mainly down in South Africa, but your platform is really open to multiple different types of different environmental projects too, not just solar, right? Yes. It, again, it's built agnostically. We just need to be able to measure the data, me measure the energy that's being produced. But our initial focus is solar. Definitely. And where do you see the industry of carbon credits and the carbon market going over the next couple of years? And do you see the um, use of blockchain being able to make greenwashing a lot less prevalent in the future? Yeah, 100%. I definitely think that the benefits of the blockchain, that it's a public ledge of immutable data, will allow that the carbon offsets are tracked along the process. Also, when you sell, when you retire and offset, that you have that one data source there immutably on the block. So you can't replicate it like you would other means of tracking. So that's the one component, but also in terms of the flow of just being able to easily flow that carbon offset from origination to sale. And it's always that same data that goes along the process. So blockchain is absolutely pivotal when it comes to carbon offset and the avoidance of greenwashing. When that initial data is taken, that's a core issue. That was an issue with some of our competitors related to they were taking old carbon offset, just putting them on a block and then your know, whoopee do. They didn't, it wasn't that, there wasn't that test of what was the old carbon? Like, was it, did that actually exist? So with us, it's anti-exposed before the fact and after the fact, really, we can see in real time how much carbon is being avoided. We're very transparent about that. So I think the core where the industry on the carbon offset side of things is going to go is that there'll be a lot of granularity in terms of what is this project? What is the data difference in pricing? Like that could be bundled together in carbon on a tier one level in terms of the carbon removal, which is more trees, carbon capture, the carbon avoidance, which is clean energy. Was it a project that happened before the event, after the event? But what we really, we need to get into a world where everything is being tracked on the carbon avoidance side, and then we can really get way more scientific and granular in terms of what can go into the atmosphere, what can't, because it literally is, it's something, it can be measured. Um, and if it can't be measured and it's putting in jeopardy the concept of life itself, we're the custodians of the only life that we know of, although there was some news yesterday, which we'll have to see where that goes, but supposedly in the Guardian newspaper in the UK, currently in London, the person went out and said that something's been hiding in the US, but it wasn't. So we'll see maybe in the next few days <laughs> that we're not the only custodians of life. But as things stand, we're the custodians of the only habitable planet that we know of. Carbon in the atmosphere is putting that at risk. So we really have the science, we have the technology, blockchain is a part thereof. Let's be smart about this and just not put it in jeopardy something as precious as this habitable planet. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And with Elon Musk trying to take us to Mars, and I think there's this comparison that I heard that Mars is five times more harsh of an environment than the worst day in Antarctica. And it's like, 
Oh, wow. Like, we have it really good here, if, considering the worst day in Antarctica, which is, like, really bad, basically no life is living there. And then you take that and multiply it by five, and that's Mars. It's a yeah. stretch to try to get us to think that, oh, we don't really need to worry too much about Earth. We'll just go to Mars, or we'll go to the moon, or something like that. It's, oof, I don't want to take those chances. I've had the fortune of traveling considerably, mostly over land mostly hitchhiking but i've had also taken flights so i've created carbon foot for myself which now i have to mitigate by creating <laughs> startup that really accelerates decarbonization but this planet is unbelievably magnificent it is a holistically if you take out the human condition for a second if we just look at the planet holistically it is a thing of unbelievable beauty and like i said we're the custodians of that so it makes sense in the long term, but now it also makes sense in the short term. There are, it makes so much sense for us to switch over to clean energy. It makes sense to have a biodiverse nature. So let's do it. Like, let's make it happen. It's as simple yeah. as that at the end of the day. Obviously, there's more complexity to it, but really just that let's do this. Not, oh, should we do it and not? Let's do this now. Let's be smart about it and make it happen. Yeah, definitely. We live in a very beautiful world. And I also love to get your opinion about the carbon offsets market, because I know that it gets tossed around a bit. Oh, carbon offsets. Well, it's just, okay, we, we can produce as much carbon as you want to, but because we're just going to buy carbon offsets or purchase these carbon offsets on the carbon offset market. And we really don't have to worry about the fact that we're producing so many tons of carbon. Do you see that as being a realistic thing or is it more of just something that naysayers want to come up with? I think it's very important to measure externalities, but we mustn't now think, okay, if we can just offset carbon, that means that now we can have a more crazy lifestyle because I'm just continuing to offset it. There has to be that reduction element as well, like reducing the carbon, but that's where if you can get scientific and granular across the board, then there can actually be a bit of carbon accounting at the end of the day. But the fundamentally, and the word tax has got a very negative connotations to it. But if it's just very clear that by taking tax for carbon that is being generated, and then using that to then decrease the tax from somewhere else, it's a net, you got the same thing. If you ask me, I'd far rather pay tax for the carbon that my business is creating, paid for random stuff that I don't necessarily agree with you have a pot that you need to fill. And that's just the way that's the most sensical pot, in my opinion, to, to take from for filling that. Yeah, we need to have the transparency, we need to measure the externalities, and then we need to balance that out. The core issue in general on the planet is that externalities are not measured and not priced in. So because they're not priced in, that means those that don't ever say they're getting the bad end of the stick. So we price it in, carbon offset is extremely important, carbon taxes are important, but we don't necessarily then just have to take that carbon tax and then not reduce it somewhere else. It should be equal. But yeah, governments have a tendency to prefer just take more and forget that actually they then got to reduce what they're taking in from the one aspect on in another place. Yeah, definitely. And what gets measured gets managed. And so in order to figure out the carbon offsets that you need in order to offset the carbon that you're producing, you also have to figure out, okay, what are you producing? <laughs> you have to measure how much carbon are you actually producing? And so usually it becomes a factor of, okay, so now that you've actually measured it, you're producing all this carbon in this area. And in fact, you could change it by just doing it this other way. And you might've have, have already been considering going in that other direction. They were equally financially the same, let's say, but this one, it produces 
produces much less carbon. Now you have a reason to go and change it to this new process because you need to reduce your carbon and you don't have to buy as much carbon offsets. So it's that thing where just the pure fact of having to go out there and figure out what your carbon is in order to figure out what your carbon offsets need to be, that can help the process in reducing because you're already going to go that way anyways, because you have to figure it out. You have to figure out how much you're even producing. Yeah, that's a big point of it as well. It's a piece of the pie, right? It's a piece of the puzzle of carbon offsets are one piece. You need to reduce how much carbon you're producing is another piece. We need to be switching to alternative energy sources and different modes of transportation and EV and things like that. But like not any one of these one things is like the silver bullet. That's like the one thing that you need to do. I think it's a combination of all of these things come together to really put us forth on the track to meet our carbon reduction goals that we have. It's not just going to be one thing that we need to do. What do you think? Yeah, 100%. You need to have a, a multifaceted solution to a huge problem. And one of those is, like you say, if you measure it, it's managed and we're starting to get there. And now we have the technology that can do so, both measuring the carbon footprint as well as measuring the amount of carbon that's avoided, that's reduced. And now's the time to do it. We've got these next 10 years to really completely shift the paradigm. They already started a number of years ago. The Paris Agreement was now eight years ago, or seven and a half. We got to move. We have to move quickly and the solutions are all there. I think the solutions are all there to have us reach where we need to go is just implementing and scaling. So those are the big parts. I'd love to hear what are your goals for the next six months or so for Decarve We are now going to look to get our whole platform to a flow state onboarding some really big players on the clean energy side of things. So the implementers, the developers, the project installers, that they can get the carbon offsets for projects that they otherwise wouldn't have been getting it for. And then also to onboard financiers and get ourselves ready for our series A towards the end of the year. So really being able to show that our platform, we've done the proof of concept and the proof of tech, but now we really want to get far more traction with our various different stakeholders. Sweet. And I also love that I asked this question, just getting it very different responses. And it's always really fun to hear just what other entrepreneurs are out there learning and bringing into their day-to-day -day lives. So I'd love to hear what are you currently learning right now? What I'm learning is the same thing that you tend to learn across the board is just persistence. Persistence is omnipotent. I think it was a president from your country, Calvin Coolidge, who said persistence is omnipotent. You can have talent, you can have a genius, all these things, but at the end of the day, persistence is the key driver of success. So just always like remembering to carry on, you have ups and downs, but that's the key thing to just keep on going and not blindly, of course, sometimes you're gonna to have to take a step back to take two steps forward. So combining that mix of being able to go, get going, but at the same time, get going with purpose and a plan. So sometimes you actually have to just take that break, take that step back to plan so that you can go faster ahead, as opposed to putting the chariot in front of the horses. But at the same time, you don't want to overthink and just stop and delay. So really finding that balance between those two, the balance of planning and execution is, I think, a key thing and always just keeping on going. Yeah, definitely. I know that I was listening to another podcaster out there and he was saying that when they took a look at a bunch of different startups and what was the leading cause of their success and things like that, it was really, it all came down to timing and really did the company have the ability to outlast to the point when the timing 
really was just perfect. Zoom a month before or a, a year before COVID hit, it was struggling trying to get it like really needing that break. And then boom, COVID hit and it took off. They talk about okay, other companies. Here, a theory here. Huh? Are you coming up with a conspiracy theory that Zoom? Oh, no, just say timing is everything, but the persistence to keep through, even when things aren't going as well. And then you just need that one thing to turn to hit off. And I'm not saying that Zoom caused the pandemic or anything like that. I'm just saying they were able to take advantage of the situation that arose through the pandemic of really being able to explode their company. It's just timing is everything and having the persistence to last and keep going even when, so that you can hit that prime time. Yeah. Zoom did with COVID is a bad example. There's other companies out there too, who just were able to last through and hit a really good opportunity to really grow their business. So just one last question here to wrap it up for today. What one tip that you would provide another entrepreneur out in the audience who's looking to either grow their business or start their green business? What is one tip that you would provide them? I suppose I maybe gave two tips on the last point, but just really don't hold back too much, but also really think ahead I try to find a partner with you you're not going to be able to do much alone there's the same passion so networking knowing what your skill set is like being honest with yourself truthful where, where are you falling short like i for example made the decision towards the start of last year to look at also getting a ceo that i could focus more on the external parts of my job so just being honest with yourself and that balancing act that I mentioned previously. Definitely. So if a financier or a company is interested in getting involved in what you guys are doing with Decarb Earth, how do they be able to get in touch with you and be able to learn more about what you're doing? If they come to the website, decarb.earth, very easy URL to remember. They can get in touch via the contact form. That'll then send an email to a number of my team members, and then we can look at how we can work together. So if it's a corporate that wants to decarbonize their supply chain, reducing the scope to emissions, if it's a business that directly wants to switch over to clean energy as cost effectively as possible, if it's a project of a village, we'll be able to provide carbon offsets and we'll also be able to provide the financing. And if it's a financier that wants to partner up with us, fantastic, because we'll need all the help we can get. Marco, thank you so much for coming on to Green Business Impact. It's been great having you on talk about what you guys do at Decarb Earth, all about carbon credits and what you guys are doing to really spur the development of solar energy projects down in South Africa. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Cool. Thank you. Just South Africa to start. The whole world is coming up next. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Very, much appreciated. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Green Business Impact Podcast. We hope you enjoyed hearing your weekly dose of climate positivity. In a world that constantly inundates you with the negative things happening, it can be great to take a break and hear some great things happening in the world. Make sure to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app to stay up to date with the latest and best interviews of the top minds in the green industries. And if you are interested in launching your own podcast to make an even larger impact on the world, then look no farther than the podcasting platform that I use here to launch every single episode of Green Business Impact, Podbean. I searched through all the different podcasting platforms out there and the best choice by far was Podbean. They give you truly the best value and all the resources you need to spread your message to the world by easily connecting you to all the different podcasting networks like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all of them. And they give you so many resources and opportunities to monetize it as well. 
So if you are on the fence about which podcasting platform to go with, make sure you check out the link in the description below to register your podcast with Podbean. Thanks again, and we can't wait to see you back here next time for another hit of Climate Positivity.